Hello, and welcome back to A Higher Way with Tay. It's Taylor Taylor, and this is my podcast, where we get to come together every couple weeks and talk about all my favorite things. We're here to share stories and experiences and have open discussions ranging from subjects like spirituality, psychedelics, astrology, healing from trauma, divorce, addiction, energy work, the afterlife, family shit. We talk about it all here. I want to tell you a little bit about my next guest. She is the first guest on the show that I actually don't know personally. I heard her on another podcast a few months ago, and I immediately sent that episode to everyone I know, and I was just like, I have to find a way to get her on my podcast. I was captivated by her knowledge regarding a pretty wide array of subjects, and I learned so much from hearing her speak. So I tracked her down, and I sent her a couple emails, and I basically begged like a psycho fangirl, and lo and behold, she agreed to come on. So I will let her story speak for itself as we get into today's episode. I hope you enjoy it. And as always, thank you for being here. Today, I am joined by someone I can only describe as the absolute dream guest for my podcast. Britt Johnson is here with us today, and she is an evolutionary astrologer, a womb healing guide, a plant medicine and birth doula. She specializes in cosmic mapping, and she leads in-person retreats where people can learn about things like metaphysical anatomy, German new medicine, and align themselves with community while they reconnect to their hearts. She holds these retreats at her homestead in Oklahoma City, where participants will embody the different elements of magic, mystery, play, and ritual. Britt, thank you from the bottom of my heart for coming here today. You are truly an honored guest, and I'm so excited to get to talk with you today. Uh, I'm really stoked, and thanks for having me. Yes, absolutely. And we have a lot to cover. And when I was planning my notes for our interview today, I was like, how in the world do I condense all of the things I want to know from you and talk to you about into one episode. So I figured I would have to be really strategic. And I think we should just start right out the gate by talking about what we just experienced last week with that Aries full moon, because holy shit, (laughs) can we just talk (laughs) about that for a minute? I need your perspective. Right. Well, it was a super moon, so it's closer to the earth. And so it has a lot more impact on us. You know, obviously we know that we are made up of uh, mostly water and the moon shifts the tides of the ocean. So, uh, of course, with it being an Aries, we're starting at that first house and this is about the self. This is, I am. And so we are obviously working too in Libra season on relationships. So this is our self-assertion, the relationship we have with ourself. And, you know, it was a brand new beginning. So for a lot of people, it could have been a whiplash into uh, where they aren't asserting themselves and where they're not leading their own life by passion and joy and, and their own identity. Yes, absolutely. I certainly felt that. And it did feel like kind of a brand new beginning. And I think coming up into the, uh, you know, eclipse new eclipse cycle too, it seemed especially potent for bringing in kind of that new energy too. And I wanted to talk to you about that, about this upcoming kind of Libra Aries, you know, eclipse portal that we're entering. And that I, I personally feel like that Aries, you know, moon just sort of like catapulted me right into the, the eclipse portal. So can you talk a little bit about, about what that Libra Aries 
clarity is and what this eclipse cycle is going to be bringing us collectively and individually? Well, this coming up eclipse in Libra that's happening on the 14th is going to really mirror and to going into 2024, which there's going to be a solar eclipse in its totality. And this is, you know, Libra and then Aries, which will be next year. And they are the polarities of each other. So you have Aries, which is fire, and you have Libra, which is air. And one is the I am presence of who we are, that first house that represents our identity our spirit, vitality, and it's what we're moving into. An evolutionary astrologer, as in astrology, and as an astrologer, I speak to people about this is the school we're moving into. I'm moving towards whatever it is we have in our first house, which might be foreign. It might be something that isn't as comfortable, but people might see that in us. You know, it's the mask we often wear. Mm-hmm. So a lot of what this eclipse dynamic is and this axis takes us all the way back to 2004 and 2005. So if you can go back to when that was and what was going on in your life relationally, I was graduating high school. And so this was a huge relationship that I had with leaving my childhood, uh, adolescence and in my mind, I thought I was free. <laughs> and then in reality, it's like I was becoming independent and having to provide for myself, which was huge leap in responsibility and maturity. Mm-hmm. So the polarity of Aries teaches Libra how to take risk, to leap, to jump, to have the courage Aries is a sign that it's really good at making in the moment decisions and like thinking about it later. Like, I'm going to go climb that mountain. Let's go do that now. And we'll face what we have coming. Libra has a little bit more indecisiveness, codependence sometimes, and wants to do it with others. You know, I want the counterpart, the balance to be there. And Aries is very independent. Mm-hmm. So this is reflective, like I said, of that time, 2004, 2005. And, you know, as a collective, we're going through Chiron Aries as well. And so this is the wound of feeling as though we can't assert ourselves because something might happen to us. And in lifetimes before, it might have. You know, we might have been outcasts in society or a culture. We might have even been killed for using our voice and becoming this independent identity. So we're all learning how to be sovereign and autonomous. And it seems to be big buzzwords and people like the idea of it. But at the end of the day, when it comes to actually implementing it, it's a little bit harder because we have become very dependent on structures, governments, our phone, technology, Mm -hmm. and convenience. So we're really having to face where we have to forgive ourselves of our past and we have to see and become 
really real with ourselves about where we're attached to anything outside of ourselves to feel whole inside of ourselves. Yes, that's beautiful. I think too with Libra and the theme of kind of like partnerships and then the Aries theme of sovereignty and um, that independence and then striking the balance between the two. Is it fair to say that with this eclipse cycle, which will be, it's 18 months, is that right? The Libra Aries? Uh, yes. With the, the nodes. Yeah. Yeah. So will that be, I mean, those themes will be collective themes, but as far as individual, like what, um, signs will be most impacted by going through the, the, the eclipses in Libra and Aries? Um, well, you know, we want to go look and see in our astrological chart, in your natal chart, where, Aries and Libra sits Mm -hmm. and what the transit, what houses that's transiting. So, I mean, that's the, that's the major ones Mm -hmm. when it comes to the nodes, which yes, changes every 18 months. And so we came out of the North node Taurus, South node Scorpio, Mm -hmm. which has a lot to do with our values and past. Uh, And so now it's yeah, relationship with self and our connection with source and other. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of relationships that are ending contracts having to be rewritten. And this is it also, you know, highlighting our familial ties in our relationship with mother, father, or, or family. Um, and with Libra being the ruler of the seventh house it is relationships, but it's also enemies. And what we see as enemy is just what we project out. And um, it's our, you know, what's going on inside of ourselves of what we feel like is an enemy externalized. So Aries is, Aries is the warrior and it doesn't worry about an enemy, so to speak, you know, and like that there's something out there that's going to stop whatever it is that we feel is our mission here, our purpose, which I feel we have many purposes, but the Aries is, you know, it's helping us have the wind at our back if we let it. Yes, definitely. And I think the, you know, when you talk about evolutionary astrology, I know that it's different than traditional astrology um, because it deals with uncovering more of like these karmic cycles and and there are aspects of evolutionary relationships involved there can you give some background on how that's different from traditional astrology and what what you mean by like uncovering karmic cycles yeah um so jeffrey wolf green created evolutionary astrology was the founder and then sort of hand in hand with stephen forrest who's my teacher and my mom's teacher uh, because she's been an astrologer for years. And so uh, the process of evolutionary astrology does have an intertangling with uh, Jungian psychology. And so we're speaking on um, shadow work. We're speaking mm-hmm. on past lives. And, you know, Carl Jung absolutely looked at charts. It wasn't well known 
because of the community he was in, but he did because there's a process through the houses that we can see must take place and what we want to address in this life. So evolutionary astrology embraces uh, paradigms, methodologies that measure our soul's growth from lifetime to lifetime. Yeah. And so, you know, it's just acceptance that we all have our own path here. There is no wrong way. And we accept that, you know, what someone's birth chart reflects of what their soul came here to do. And it's just not going to look like what we think that it should or what ours looks like. Yeah, definitely. Everybody's blueprint is different. And I think I would love to hear you give an example of what a karmic cycle perhaps looks like in a natal chart. And again, I know that everybody has a different one, but just for reference. Yeah. So, you know, I believe we choose our parents Mm -hmm. and I've done enough work in my own work to really see that very clearly and the dance that we play with each other. And who knows, you know, what my father and I were in another life. We played different roles, maybe even in parent, child, brother, sister, who knows. And so it's very clear to me that the ultimate goal is forgiveness, acceptance, and to not repeat cycles of anger, resentment, and allowing what it does internally for us when we hold on to what a parent didn't do or did do for us. And in our chart, I specifically go to the fourth house, seventh house, 12th houses. Those are really impactful. Uh, And then if, you know, someone has Pluto in the fourth house of family and our roots and lineage and mother, you know, I know there's something very karmic going on there, maybe volcanic. There's a lot of upheaval in there, but that upheaval is necessary because we need the contrast here. We need those life experiences. And that's what evolutionary astrology shows is the multidimensionality of ourself and that those things that we think happened to us and that were so horrible was really just buffing out the diamond that we are. And at the end of the day, it's just an experience. And so if maybe we were someone not so nice to a parent before in a life, and then the roles are switched, and then we become conscious of that, that might be a probability, you're going to shift your perspective in life. And we're going to more than likely have a better acceptance of, okay, can I allow for my father to be who he is without the story? Because the story is really what causes me the pain. Mm-hmm. And so we look at the moon and our south node and Pluto. And, and we look at our parents' chart. Where is their sun transiting in your chart? So the foundational points are obviously who raised us and our parents. And that's where we start. And for women, since I work mostly with women, it has so much to do with the lineage healing part on the matriarchal side and what we carry. Mm -hmm. Why is Pluto significant in that regard? What is it about Pluto? 
Well, Pluto is our, you know, soul's evolution and desires, and we're bringing forth from previous lives. So it's our deepest issues of security. Mm. And so in our chart where Pluto sits in the house and the sign, you know, we can either utilize that as a powerful push forward and we can harness that energy or it can just engulf us Mm -hmm. because we need something to feel safe and safety is ultimately an illusion. So our future, so to speak, which future is now, but what we believe we're creating, if we go to the opposite side of our chart of where Pluto sits and what sign that is, that is our soul's intention in this life to evolve beyond the old patterns through the the opposite sign. So mine is Scorpio, the opposite is Taurus. That's self-worth, self-sufficiency, creating my own values and not getting stuck in that scorpionic, secretive chaos and feeling as though chaos is normality. A lot of people, including myself, have come from a place of, well, that chaos or those dysfunctional relationships have felt really familiar and safe. Mm Mm-hmm. Wow, that's so fascinating to me. And I'm just thinking, you know, my own chart, because mine is Libra and Aries. So Pluto in Libra in the first, and then the opposite would be Aries in the seventh. Well, and that's what the eclipse, you know, access is going to affect is your first and seventh houses. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, your identity and what you are moving towards in the world. You said Libra is the first house. Yes, I'm a yeah. Libra, Libra sun and rising, but I have yeah. Pluto and Libra in the first. Yeah. Yeah. My rising is Libra as well. So, you know, it's harmonious friendships, relationships, environments. So it's moving towards a really positive, connective, harmonious relationships. And Libra really represents serenity. And so Aries can be very hard-headed. It can be very self-centered in its shadow. You know, so we're moving towards a life where we can have relationships that are really beautiful and calming and balance with justice, you know, because that's what Libra is, the scales. And I really see Libra as the liminal woman whenever I speak to other women about the sign because Libra, its role is to get us familiar with the paradox Mm -hmm. because we're all living through different realities. We're all seeing through different lenses. And so it's like, I love animals and I could just, cry instantaneously of thinking about them or seeing them being, you know, abused. At the same time, I eat animals. And for a lot of people, you know, that doesn't make sense. There's Mm -hmm. a contradiction there. But that's the paradox that we're in, you know. So it's a different relationship and it can be a little complicated, but that's what Libra is here to 
show us is that we can be many of the things simultaneously. Yes. I, gosh, that resonates so much. I, you know, I have a Libra stellium and like I said, I'm a Libra sun and rising and that paradox that you're talking about. It's so interesting to me because I feel like I've always had this, you know, this belief that like life isn't fair, but it should be fair. And it's like this paradox that I struggle with because I am such a Libra. And I've often thought like the cosmic irony of it all, that I was just born with this inability to reconcile with unfairness and injustice. And yet I have this Libra stellium, which is almost like cannot accept when life isn't fair because I search out that balance and I work so hard to have that balance in my life. So my health and my routines, my work, my relationships. And then I have Venus and Virgo, which I think combined with all my Libra is like, I'm a ride or die for the people and things that I love. And life just doesn't work like that. And nobody else I know, like gets absolutely again, that paradox that you're explaining that I think is so identifiable as a Libra, because it, 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 I get it. I completely get what you're talking about. Yeah. And, you know, it's ingrained within and brought forth in this life to feel that way and to want to bring justice and harmony and uh, Venus and, you know, coupled with Virgo is a lot of practicality in relationship. And this is what's also being highlighted with Black Moon Lilith right now that just went into Venus yesterday and it's a real emphasis right now on the feminine mm-hmm. um, and the feminine within all of us. But, you know, as a kid struggling with the unfairness and a lot of women that I work with have, but it's also a call to go within because there's also a lot of external beauty in the world and love and giving and fairness and joy. And so it can be really um, easy to go on that side of the injustice. And that is absolutely too what this eclipse in Libra is going to represent is things that we've done before to others that we might feel like, you know, that wasn't okay and I shouldn't have done that. And these hard conversations we might need to have with people to bring forth to the attention of the imbalances in our relationships of what we felt was done to us and that we did and take accountability Mm -hmm. because it's about forgiving ourselves, forgiving other people. And there's just a lot of people that are piloting with an inner child right now that's running rampant. Mm -hmm. And that's also what Aries represents. It can be a child that, is like having a huge tantrum when they don't get their way. And that creates power struggles. So we're seeing that and we will continue to see that on the main stage of the world and the reality we've created when it comes to government, uh, when it comes to the Pluto return of the United States Mm -hmm. that's happening right now as we're talking. Can you, for people who may not understand because that's so significant. Will you touch on that, the Pluto return for the United States? Right. So when Pluto was at 27 degrees, 33 minutes, Capricorn, 
That's when the United States was founded. And in the natal chart of the U.S., it's in the second house of values. And so when this happens, it's, you know, 200 and something years. So it won't happen again in our lifetime. But it's going to get to the closest degree and or the closest minute uh, here soon because Pluto goes direct on the 10th of October. And right now it's like 27 degrees, 50 something minutes, I think the last time I checked. Mm-hmm. So it won't get exact, but it's at the exact degree, just not minutes. So, uh, yeah, I mean... Who knows? Who knows? I don't do any predictive uh, type of things. I mean, I feel like there's some themes that can happen, but the imbalances of the systems we've created that divide, that create Mm -hmm. like left, right, red, blue, you know, all that. Mm -hmm. It's just dismantling itself Um, because there's a lot of power. There's a lot of greed. and Pluto isn't going to have it. I mean, it will dismantle it just like Saturn, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, that's so funny. You say Saturn too, because that's kind of where I focus a lot on the podcast is, is like a, the karmic um, relevance of Saturn. And I guess I've never really thought so much of Pluto in that way. So it's, it's really interesting to hear that perspective. And, you know, speaking of these, karmic cycles, when I started to study astrology, I really became just enchanted by learning about the North and South node. And I'm also fascinated by learning about Chiron. And I know you touched on it earlier about it being in Aries. And so if you could take some time to explain those placements in a natal chart, the North and South node and Chiron, I'd just love to hear your perspective on that. Yeah. So the North node the lunar nodes are they're this intersection points where the moon crosses the plane of the ecliptic. And then that plane passes through the center of the sun, which contains the orbit of the earth. So that I always have in this slideshow PDF that I give people this diagram, because that's kind of hard to visualize. Uh, and you have to kind of say it more than once to do it. Um, but the North node is where the moon's path intercepts the ecliptic plane. And then that plane's crossing from the south to the north celestial latitude. So they're points. They're not planets. They're not asteroids. They're just points of a crossing. And we say that the north nodes the dragon's head and the south nodes the dragon's tail. Now, the north node is our destiny, what we want to move forward into, The south node can sometimes pull us in, like siphon us in. At the same time, the south node, we can bring gifts and abilities with it. Intuitive or someone might come in and just be already inclined to play an instrument or be an herbalist or want to dive into astrology or something very young. Then you know that, you know, go to their south node and look because they might have brought that in. The other side of that is that they're not meant to just do that. It's also moving to the North Node, which can be quite uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And I know that for me, because I can only 
speak from my own perspective, being in my south node of Scorpio has been really, really comfortable in life to create the chaos, to create unconsciously, of course, but then not having enough, the scarcity, the feeling like the bottom is going to drop out. Mm -hmm. North node Taurus is about our self-worth and our value and accruing possessions and things and knowing that we are worthy of having that. So that's just one example of the nodes. So the North node is our potential power Mm -hmm. and following that creates fulfillment and happiness. And the South node is really like a siphon. So I love that. Yeah. So the familiarity is what we want to move out of, which is why we do seven year cycle mapping and pattern recognition, because we get to see, okay, what did I bring in? And then also what did I learn really early on, specifically like zero to seven years old Mm -hmm. in the way that I view love, money, um, you know, relationships Mm -hmm. and how we create safety because Safety is the illusion, right? You know, Mm -hmm. so people think that being at a corporate job and having benefits and that, you know, that's safety. And they think that the entrepreneur, the artist is ridiculous, Mm -hmm. but it's really not that accurate because the risk takers will always have the trial and error and the learning. And those are the ones moving into their North Node, which Once you start doing this work and diving deeper, I feel like the less you can see, the farther out. And that's just become really clear in my life because once you step into that North Node more than you ever have, it's like you're kind of walking into a foggy field and you just trust that what's coming is beautiful. And that that it clears and that it's exciting instead of scary. Yes, I love that so much. I have my South Node in Capricorn and my North Node in Cancer. And for me, I feel like the work that I do to really try to embody the Cancer North Node and let go of the Capricorn, um, the part of me that's like, I always have to do everything myself and that I have to be responsible for everyone and everything because I have to be, and, and I have to have everything planned out and I have to like grind, you know what I mean? Like I have to just hustle and grind in order to like get by. And then my cancer North node in, for me is like really about, it's that feminine flow. It's the water. And it's really the trusting of like, you know, God's got me. The universe has got me. Like I'm, I'm trusting that I'm being carried down the river. I don't have to do everything for my life to go in the direction that it's destined to. So I really am trying harder than ever to embrace those cancer qualities and try like from my cold dead hands release, you know, that Capricorn grip on control. And, um, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. You just really shared it beautifully. Yeah. 
Um, How can somebody like work to embody more uh, other than understanding the qualities of the sign of their North node? Like what are other ways that you can, you can work with that energy to be more um, aligned with it, I guess. So a quick little short story I tell people about karma and dharma and the difference in it, because, you know, the nodes explain why behind our very existence, like how our purpose is defined by the karmic lessons and our destined mission. So imagine a man was born into a family in a village and that family and their last name had roles and they were the carpenters. And that son did not want to be a carpenter and build houses. So he went to his father and he said, I don't want to build houses. I want to go on a pilgrimage. I want to be a spiritual advisor, a bodhisattva. I want to go share about God and and following the path of our own purpose. And the father said, no, this is what we do. This is what we're here for. But the man went off on his own and he came across an ashram and he came to the gates and he said to the people there, I would love to come live here and work and learn the ways and become a teacher. And they said, we have one space available and you can come and trade your work and we need a carpenter. Can you provide that service? And of course he could. So on the path and the road to your dharma, you can't escape your dar- your karma. So some of the things we came and brought in with people and experiences and places, we will have to face and meet. And that doesn't have to be scary unless we see it that way, right? And we don't have to see it as wrong or right. You know, being in some of the relationships we were in or some really traumatic ones with our mother or father, we don't have to have an opinion about it other than it's exactly what I needed to build up to go through sort of like a boot camp into my, into my dharma. Mm-hmm. And so we learn through the nodes, everything you've ever experienced had its place. It was relevant. So that I feel like is the best example of the difference between karma and dharma and the north and south node in a visual and um but yeah if if you're ever being pulled back to that capricorn you'll feel it once you have this understanding absolutely and that's why i think learning and knowing your nodes and the sign your nodes are in are so helpful because it it really is about recognizing like when i'm embracing in my case the qualities of cancer i'm 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 leaning towards that path of my destiny. And when I default to those Capricorn qualities, I'm, I'm going backwards, you know, that's just, that's what, no, it's not where I'm going. Right. And you don't even have to have a judgment with going backwards because there's no such thing. Right. It's just another new experience. Like when someone goes back to an ex, it doesn't Mm -hmm. mean that, you know, they're bad, they're wrong, or they should feel shame. It's, well, we're going back into the pit of fire. All right, what new lessons am I going to learn this time? And eventually you'll stop opening the wound and pouring salt in it. 
mm-hmm. because the payoff won't be worth it. And that's the thing is, you know, when you go to a space holder or someone who's willing to really be your mirror and share truths with kindness, it's really getting to the core of things and, you know, getting quite uncomfortable. And it might be quite triggering because I ask people, well, why do you like it? You know? And they're like, I don't like that. You know, I don't like meeting new partners and they're always the same pattern or they cheat on me, they're lie, they manipulate. And I'm like, but we do because we meet it. We know the red flags. We think that it's going to be different and we move forward because we're getting a payoff. Mm -hmm. That payoff is what the South Node in us and what we're familiar with points to. Yes, absolutely. And when you're talking about that wound, I think too, it's like now's the appropriate time to talk about Chiron because that's a player in this as well. Can you explain for people what Chiron is and what it represents? Right. Well, Chiron is the wounded healer. Uh, Chiron, it's for some, it's called the unhealable wound. And what that really means is that we're not here to transcend something. You know, we're here to have an experience. And the same with not trying to leave the body and become mm-hmm. some light body being. You know, we came to be in a physical, corporeal body that's flesh and bone. And we don't want to transcend beyond that and leave that. And that's not what I view becoming like higher vibrational is it's consistently every day focusing on your thoughts and your habits and your routines and if they're the same repetition of what you don't want versus optimism and like you just said trusting that I'm always taken care of and God has me you know like we're we're kids of God And why wouldn't God, this energy, it's all creation. Why wouldn't that energy want the best for its children? And so Chiron is one of the centaurs. So in Greek mythology, the son of Titan, um, Cronus. I I don't remember specifically. but this Chiron Cenotar uh, was actually a really, really good um, benevolent being. And um, what we want to address is the womb we brought in. Again, it's very similar to the South Node. And so I deal with a lot of people with the Taurus, and this is, you know, spanning through soul clusters of people that Chiron and Taurus you're saying? Yeah. So Chiron Taurus, um, Chiron Gemini, which is me. I'm Um, Chiron Taurus also. Yeah. I'm Chiron Gemini. So that's my voice in my throat, hence the thyroid issues. And then, Uh yeah, Taurus is the, um, the self-worth worthiness, but it's the physical body. It's learning the physical body. So it's our deepest emotional and spiritual wounds. Um, But we transform through that pain 
uh, into growth. And so it's not about like, oh, yep, I've done the work. I'm clear of my Chiron. It's just a work in progress. And it's for our whole life. Mm -hmm. And so, again, the ego wants to transcend things. But that's not really what that means. It's just a facing of it and knowing that that was going to be a focal point Mm -hmm. in our lifetime. So what house is um, that it's in? uh, What house and what sign? Mm -hmm. And when you talk about, you know, Chiron and Gemini and your issues with with the thyroid, I I want to hear your story there because it's a great segue also into the subject of metaphysical anatomy. And I do want to touch on, because I've heard you talk about, for example, abandonment being stored in the kidneys. And I know Libra rules the kidneys. And again, I have this Libra stellium. I'm a Libra sun and rising. And the first episode of the second season of this podcast was all about, you know, recognizing and healing this abandonment wound of mine, finally at age 40. And when I listened to you talking about, you know, how that's all like in the kidneys and ruled by Libra. I was fascinated by it. So I would love to hear you tell your story about your thyroid and how that, you know, is intertwined with the concept of metaphysical anatomy. Right. So metaphysical anatomy is a little different than German and medicine. So German and medicine is the biological programs. It has a lot more to do with physiology. Uh, Dr. Hammer wasn't really speaking about uh, necessarily emotions stored in the fascia, in the muscle or the organs. It was really just what was going on in our brain and the lesion and then what him, what part of the brain it was accessing and then what organ or what part of the body that it was affecting as that healing phase. So metaphysical anatomy is more uh, geared toward the emotions stored in. And so you can put Chinese medicine in with that as, as well. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so you, you have to really also dive into that, which I do. And it's just uh, it's so fascinating. And just the, you know, some of the oldest cultures on the planet and what they've done and how they eat, how they live. So the kidneys is where the yin energy is. Um, and it has to do with, yeah, Libra relationships. So Libra is, uh, skin, kidneys, um, and the skin being, you know, our largest organ spread out. And it's the barrier between our inner world and the exterior world. It's mm-hmm. the ureters, urethra, bladder, our lower back. And I had my own kidney issues uh, with my rising sign Libra and the abandonment that I've experienced in my life and that core wound. And uh, a lot of people bring that in too. It's not just, you know, not only they bring it in through gene expression upon conception, which we know now that that 100% affects us. And then Mm -hmm. so much of what's going on in utero of what our mother is experiencing emotionally and physically. And I find that most women I speak with uh, come in with a kidney program running and that abandonment. But, you know, I think we all come in with a certain degree of abandonment because we're p- 
pushed into this dense reality mm-hmm. from spirit world, which is unconditional love. And, you know, it's, there's this lightness. And then here there's a heaviness full of all of these emotions. And, you know, we, we come out of our mother's womb and we're screaming <laughs> and we're mm-hmm. naked and, mm-hmm. and we have a lot that happens to us in those first few months that set the tone in really the first few years, five to seven years. Um, so that kidneys is also, you know, it can be linked in with fear and anger. Mm-hmm. And because of that abandonment as well. Mm-hmm. And then with so many women, you and myself included, who have dealt with, you know, a different varying degrees of thyroid disease or illness, it's so prevalent now. Um, why do you think that is? And what is, what is it, rep- what's represented there in the thyroid? Well, the thyroid, that's Taurus. And that's the head and the neck and Taurus. And, you know, it's the regulation of our hormones. And But we want to just look. It doesn't have to be complicated. It's our voice. It's speaking or not speaking. It's holding our tongue. And, you know, the connection between our throat and our heart and womb all has a direct line, specifically the uterus and up to the heart, you know, the vagus nerve is hugely impactful for this connection and regulating our nervous system. But if we come in not feeling as though we can speak and we're in a family where we're silenced and especially women, you know, be seen, not heard, or sitting at tables where our voice isn't valid there's the closing off of our own vitality and our own essence and our own power and over time that just builds and the same with inside the uterus or ovaries you know and so we suppress our own femininity and create a lot of rage and anger so that's fibroids and cyst Mm -hmm. so the throat to me has a direct correlation to our womb, a straight line. And this can also be due to sexual abuse and issues around sexuality. And so it's, you know, there's some complexities to it, but if we want to get down to the root, it's just suppression. And that Mm -hmm. suppression comes from fear and that's it. It's as simple as that. So, um, you know, fear is the emotion associated with kidneys and bladder and it's the water element. It's yin. Um, so it's just what can be activated when we go through big transitions in our life or feel unstable. And, you know, we want to include that with UTIs as well. So it's just a territorial issue, meaning our boundaries are repeatedly getting crossed and we're not saying anything because we don't think we can. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's definitely an issue as women collectively that we're facing. I I think the statistic with thyroid disease, I don't know what it is, but it's alarming for how 
you know, prevalent it is um, amongst women. So I've always been fascinated in learning and reading more about the metaphysical uh, correlation there. What does German new medicine say about the thyroid? I know you said that's slightly different about like, not necessarily about the emotions there, but like, what's the German new medicine kind of stance on, on the thyroid and thyroid disease? Um there's many things, but I see it mostly with women with self-devaluation. Mm-hmm. It's like a, there's a self-devaluation conflict and that also has to do with the kidneys. Again, it's all tied together. You know, you can't talk about the thyroid without talking about menstruation. Mm-hmm. And so this comes to also societal lack of initiations. And this comes with shame and that shame is stored in our womb. And the shame is of being a woman, period, being in our femininity and and our sexuality, starting Mm -hmm. from when we're menstruating. It's hidden. It's shamed. It's dirty, you -hmm. know, but it in lifetimes before or even culture is still to date or before us, it was honored. It was a rite of passage. It was an initiation. You went for days in a red tent with other women. It was, you know, life force energy in tribes, uh, men having sexual relationships with a woman menstruating, going into battle was, you know, how more Aries can you get than that? You know, right? no kidding. (laughs) I mean, it's like they saw it as an honor and that it would give them strength and power in battle. So, yeah, I mean, in in the U.S., with the thyroid specifically, it's a huge percentage. And I know a lot of it has to do with um, the adrenals and stress and mm-hmm. and the type of environment the U.S. has created. But it's like one in eight women. Yeah, that's wild to me. Really wild, yeah. When we talk about, you know, the womb and we talk about um, kind of like the, the ancestral trauma, maybe patterns that are... Um, brought into this lifetime um through our lineage and 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 as women held in our womb um i I know you've i've heard you say before like you can use cosmic mapping for example as a way to sort of close out some of those trauma patterns Mm -hmm. um because and correct me if i'm wrong but my understanding of cosmic mapping is that it like links the body and then the name chart but but sort of beyond space and time. And I would like to hear you give an example of how you use cosmic mapping in as a way to sort of close out those ancestral trauma patterns. Like how's that done? So as you're talking, the first example that came to mind was conception. Mm-hmm. So, you know, energetically and also of course physiology, like you need a, a uterus and ovaries to conceive a human being. But when it comes to our fourth, eighth, and 12th houses with women, that's some of the first places I go because they're the feminine signs are the water signs. Fourth house, family and our roots and our mother. And the eighth house is long-term issues in the chronic body. It's Scorpio, but that's sex, death, things that we see as taboo. And it's union. And then, so this is also our past with Scorpio. And we want to look at what was the most common theme of the matriarchal line and lineage that they suffered through? Were they 
underneath a man in a way where they didn't have their own autonomy? Were they refugees? Were they slaves? And how did they feel about being a mother? And this goes to women's mother wounds. And then the 12th house is our hidden body. You know, it's how we isolate, but it's mental health, mental issues. It's drug addiction. Uh, it's about sleep. And it's where a lot of times we are misdiagnosed or mistreated because things aren't as easily seen because of this like illusion of something. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we go back as far as we can in a woman's matriarchy as an example and say a woman comes to me and, you know, she's having trouble conceiving. Uh, Any healthy woman that hasn't have anything seemingly uh, wrong physiologically is 100% able to get pregnant. And um, I'll just throw out some of my opinions that are probably, you know, not, this is just my opinion and not everyone believes it's true, but I believe that if in a lifetime we are meant to have a soul come through us, it's going to happen. And most of the time when women have trouble conceiving and say they adopt a child, they will get pregnant soon after that because the resistance has led up. I've seen that with, with women. Mm-hmm. They've tried for seven to 10 years of having their own child. They finally adopt a child and within months they get pregnant. And the focus is off. What do I need to do? What's wrong with me? How can I force it? How can I push it? It's like, how well has that ever turned out in our lives? And so we go back to the family line. Where was their resistance force? Where was the view on children? What did our mother and matriarchal side feel about women? And most of the time, the women I work with, and we look at those patterns in cosmic mapping, they have a deep mother wound. They had a deep abandonment with their mother, either emotionally or physically. And a lot of those women were also adopted. Um, so this is just some of the patterns that I've seen. Mm -hmm. So once we get to the place of, or rewriting that, so, oh, I no longer have to actually feel fear of being a mother because when I tell a woman that, you know, there really isn't a reason why she shouldn't be able to conceive and yet she's not, it's like, the subconscious work of, are you afraid of it? And they say, no, no, it's what I want. I, I, well, but we're not creating that energetic frequency or radio station dial, so to speak, for that connection to happen. So there's something there, you know? And so- Can it be on the man's part? Like same issue? Like Yeah. So we're- meeting people at a frequency that's similar to ours and what we're bringing in through our gene expression, what they're bringing in through theirs is all limitations or limiting beliefs, unworthiness or fears. A lot of it's just fear, you know, especially in parenting as the example, it's fearing becoming a parent, becoming abusive or feeling like you're going to, you know, mess someone up or not do it right. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, absolutely. Now we know like the genes are expressed upon conception and then in utero and what we Mm -hmm. carry forth many, many things are 
that we'll pull up in uh, metaphysical anatomy. And um, so, yeah, you can't take the masculine out of the equation, but I just start with the matriarchal sign because we are the ones that have the womb and conceive. And so that's just as an example. Yes, that makes sense for sure. I think, you know, when we talk to about the, the stuff that's passed down through our lineage, the ancestral stuff, like, especially when we're looking at trauma that's carried down through generations, you know, this for me personally was a concept I'd never really even heard about until I, until I started doing my own work with plant medicine, specifically with ayahuasca. But why, why do you think plant medicines have the ability to help facilitate like that kind of healing, the ancestral stuff that goes back many, many generations? Well, I, I'll share my own opinion of this and also just what I've seen through my own plant medicine journeys and, and just channelings and deeper uh, meditations without plant medicines is how time works. I think that that needs to be really conceptualized the best as possible with people Mm -hmm. because we speak a lot about ancestors and I believe that we are some of our ancestors. I believe we've reincarnated many times through a lineage and who's to say you're not your great, great grandmother. Mm -hmm. And we're continuing that. So I do not put a person or a plant on a pedestal. Uh, I don't say I'm doing this for anybody or this plant helped me do this or created this or it saved my life. They are mirrors. They are allies. They are not the savior. You know, God is the only thing that I speak of in that way. Mm -hmm. And that will will forever be that way for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And time to me is stacked. So time isn't linear. It lays on top of each other. And you know what? The best example I've ever been able to see in a movie is the movie Interstellar. Yes. And when he's behind the bookshelf and it was him all along. That's how I see time working. So I just tell you real quick that it's so cool you say that because I don't think you know this about me, but I'm a nurse and I work in a ketamine clinic. And I can't tell you how many times we have patients that come out of a ketamine journey and say, oh my God, have you seen that movie Interstellar? Because that's exactly where I went. That's exactly what it's like. Like I understand. And it's just like that movie. Yes. Yeah. There's many names for those halls. Like their halls are like Mm -hmm. records or like Akashic Mm -hmm. and there's many different other names for it, but very, very on point. I know the writers had to have had their own journeys and trips or near death experiences uh, Mm -hmm. because that's being channeled in. So I don't, I believe we carry on trauma through those expressions and that's in the genes and the DNA. So I believe that we, can turn on DNA. I believe we can access um, and create new neural pathways that the plants absolutely assist with. Mm-hmm. But there's polarity here. So the plants can also do the opposite, which is codependence, reliance, mm-hmm. psychosis. Mm-hmm. You know, you see people not integrating well after too many ayahuasca ceremonies. Mm-hmm. They cannot be here in this reality. And they will yeah. have psychotic episodes. Yep. Absolutely. So, so there's a balance. And I just, for me as a plant medicine space holder, 
I want people to know that eventually they don't need to do it. Mm-hmm. And that's the point is that it's like a fast, fast push off. But then mm-hmm. like, it, it's literally a choice to say, I'm not going to continue the very thing I know my grandmother or grandfather would not do or did do. And it is too simple for people and they want it to be so complicated. And then we look at the ways in which allopathic medicine really fails us is that it's like, oh, you have the probability of having this happen to you from your lineage that the women all had breast cancer. Well, if the body expresses the healing through what we call the illness, then let's go back and see what happened right before they had breast cancer. Did they have Mm -hmm. a loss of a husband, a parent, a child? How in ways were they taking on all of the nurturing and the caretaking and the environment and then something shifted and they Mm -hmm. put all of their path and all of their energy into something outside of themselves and so that's like that representing representing of not nurturing oneself Mm -hmm. and it doesn't mean that you're gonna get it nor can that ever really be proven Mm -hmm. they can do these things where they show gene sequences and this is very epigenetic. Mm-hmm. That's the huge, the huge uh, aha moments most people get is what they're no longer going to carry. So the hard part is people getting out of victimhood. Mm-hmm. That's it. Mm-hmm. Yep. You're right. That is the hard part. Yeah. And I think it's where, you know, plant medicine can be helpful um, if you're willing to do the work with it, you know? Um, But not everybody really is. Like I said, it's not a a quick fix. Um, No. A lot of internal work and self-study and, and um, integration to, to continue to participate in your own healing. It's not just, you know, going to ceremony and drinking medicine and having some kind of miraculous healing of all the generations of ancestral pain that you you carry. Right. Right. Yeah, and I want to add this too, as as I use the example of like uh, women conceiving as this cosmic mapping, which cosmic mapping is evolutionary astrology, seven year cycles, metaphysical anatomy, and I just put all that together and just called it that. But um, you know, I think the illusion, and the same with the age of Aquarius, which is also the age of technology and speeding that up, and in the years to come, we're gonna have so much air in the sky. And so it's going to get really fast. But the illusion is that we aren't as powerful or ingenious telepathic as some of these programs, as these softwares that are created. Now, we Mm -hmm. can't go as fast as some of the AI and creation and typing out, of course, but we have the ability to bend time and space. We have the ability to read each other's minds. We have the ability to move objects with our mind. 100%. I have no doubt in that. People are doing that. They have done it. Mm -hmm. And uh, the government, you know, does it (laughs) with Mm -hmm. and has programs with it, astral projecting, remote Mm -hmm. viewing, that kind of stuff. And so Mm -hmm. this is where we don't need the external lives, especially in women's health, 
and really just how invasive and damaging that side of the healing medicine allopathy that it is. And if we are to have a child come through, we have the ability to call that in, to create that, to do that. And so this is where the invasiveness of things like, you know, IVF and things that we do in order to push and create so much resistance. And for some people that might be their path and souls can come through with it for sure. And I worked in the allopathic medicine world for over a decade as well. And there's amazing healers. It has its place. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not going to go to my acupuncturist if I break a bone. Mm -hmm. So I, I know it has its place, but we cannot continue to put anything on a pedestal, not a doctor, not a specific modality, not a plant. It cannot be the savior. And Mm -hmm. speaking back to the eclipse axis, it's going to be occurring and happening. And then on until April of next year with that really, really powerful one. This, that's the key point of not looking outside of ourselves. And that's it. I mean, it's, it's so simple. Yes, I agree. And I think that's the Aries, you know, sovereignty that we were talking about in the beginning too, you know, like going back to that, um, that energy, which is, which is something that I know as a, all this Libra, like I'm, I'm cultivating and leaning into as I kind of balance out that, that, and understand that polarity. Yeah. So that's a beautiful description. I, I really, I love that. Yeah. I wanted to, to take an opportunity to have you kind of hopefully dispel some myths I think that are out there around like what people would consider bad natal chart placements. And the examples I'm going to use are literally from my own chart because I'm like, (laughs) they're the ones that I've always been like, please tell me that there's like a better way we can look at this. Well, actually one is, is my son. So I'm just right out the gate going to tell you my son has a Scorpio moon. And when he was born and I did his chart and I saw that I was like, Oh fuck, no, he's got a Scorpio moon. (laughs) So can you, can you tell me, you know, why Scorpio moons get a bad rap and maybe what the, the high side of a Scorpio moon is? Well, it's not the most favorable place for the moon to be in because of the intensity, because of the moodiness, because of the the already heaviness that the moon can represent because it it can represent our past and our emotional body. So uh, Scorpio, its main drive is to dive into the deeper realms of existence. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times that just gets put on as like a sexual sign, like mm-hmm. sex and sexy. And it's like, well, the only reason why that is, is because what's more in depth and what's more uh, unified than physical touch and sex. There's mm-hmm. nothing more that gets us um, closer to each other, which then ultimately is with God. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the moon can really be representative of our past and what our soul has learned and knows and is bringing forward. And Scorpio is intense. 
mm-hmm. wants to dive deep into the psyche. There's a seriousness of it. There's there's a secretiveness, which then can turn into manipulation mm-hmm. and coercion. And uh, but most importantly, it's fine-tuning passion. A passion for life, a passion for existence and all the many feelings that we'll have on a daily uh, on a daily basis. I'm a Scorpio moon. Are you really? Yeah. Yeah. So. I actually have some other people in my life that I feel like are positive positive examples of Scorpio moon. So whenever I meet one that I'm like, oh, thank God, that's a great news. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I think I also just get worried because of the connotation of like the mother thing with this with the Scorpio moon, you know? Yeah. Again, the that's why I go back to the lineage of the matriarchy with Scorpio and wherever Scorpio is. And depending on where it's sitting, it's like what was really going on in that past life, the one we just came mm-hmm. from. And mm-hmm. going back to Interstellar, it's like, well, all those lives are happening now, just like all of time and space is happening now because it doesn't really mm-hmm. exist. Mm-hmm. And so this is what the inner child work and parts work we do is we go back to those versions of ourselves and we speak to her and mm-hmm. she no longer gets to navigate through us. Well, a Scorpio moon is going to, you know, sometimes have its stinger out or mm-hmm. that Scorpio placement there. Um, mm-hmm. And that's a protecting mechanism because it was threatened, maybe literally became a refugee or, you know, completely went down to nothing or homelessness or um, we could say like the witch wound people talk about. So you could have been an herbalist, a birth worker that was hung in town square, Mm -hmm. you know? So that's very Scorpio as well. But um, it's really difficult, I feel like, for the placement more so in childhood Mm -hmm. because the intensity is there and people don't know what to do with it. So it makes them uncomfortable and they project out. Mm-hmm. So that, that was true for me anyway. Well, I, I agree. Like the intensity of a Scorpio can also be like really beautiful. And I've always said, one of my favorite things about Scorpios is like, there's just no surface level possibility with a Scorpio. And I like that. You know what I mean? I'm not here for surface level. So I, I like that the depth, um, the emotional depth, even though it's intense. Um Okay. So I I like that perspective. That's awesome. So in my chart, I have Saturn conjunct Pluto in the first house in Libra. And I don't like them. (laughs) Well, that's caused me a lot of, a lot of challenges and difficulty in my life. Right. So that's when you want to tap into the North node Mm -hmm. because the nurturing yourself to not be obsessed with order, Mm -hmm. perfectionism, Mm -hmm. and feeling like you need someone else to achieve something, Mm -hmm. and uh, seeing all sides and not just Capricornian one directed, and that's very orderly. Mm -hmm. But I would say if I was looking at that, I would speak on, you know, your father relationship or the relationship you have with your own inner masculine that's been externalized as well and relationships mm-hmm. with men. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, it's, 
it's going to fine tune you, especially in those Saturn returns. Yep. And it's good because it keeps you in line of not swaying to codependency Mm -hmm. and just the driving force of your soul, Mm -hmm. you know, with Pluto there. Mm -hmm. So you had to have that apparently to help mature you because that's really what that's going to be about is maturity. The Cancer Capricorn nodal axis is the axis of maturity. It's so interesting. I love that. Again, I, I, I've, I've said it so many times on here, but I, I could study the nodes all day. And when people come to me and they're learning their own astrology or just getting started, like I, whenever I feel like it's appropriate, I'm like, you've just got to learn your North and South node and really study it. Cause it will make so much sense about not just like God, who you are and, and, and how you are, but also like how you can be your best version, your highest version of like what destiny and, you know, the universe wants from you. Like there's a, there's a blueprint there for like traits you can embody to become. And then I always think too, embracing that North node and the qualities of the North node, like there should be less resistance. You know, when I'm, when I'm in flow with the qualities of my North node, I am floating down the river, right? Like I'm, I'm like, there is ease because that's, that's my path. That's the direction I'm supposed to be going energetically, you know, um, all of it. So thank you for that explanation. That's, that's really beautiful. I think the last one I would love for you to touch on uh, again from my own chart here, um, Uranus in the second house. I love Uranus. And the reason why is also like from my own experience, my own life, obviously, but, uh, my son is conjunct Uranus at the exact degree. Mm. And so talking about individuality and your own rebellion against Mm. the status quo, that's what Uranus represents. So we can see in someone's chart, if they're living a life that's really transcending that cultural programming or if they aren't and they're not really accessing that development of their own individuality. Mm-hmm. And so this is why our purpose, our future really does rely on um, Uranus. If we're accessing that, what house is it in? What mm-hmm. sign is it in? And so it's not needing societal approval. Mm-hmm. And that's also parental and familial and cultural because it's like, no, you don't have to be a lawyer because all of your parents, family members are lawyers if you want to be the artist. And so it's like, how much will we lean into that? And then that goes hand in hand with the North Node. Yes, it all ties back to the North Node, I feel like. Yeah, so the key is discernment. Mm-hmm. And where we get advice from, what you know that person's state of mind is, where they're currently experiencing their own life, and that we don't let that infiltrate ours, because mm-hmm. people, you know, especially our parents or those who really care about us, you know, in a way they want what's best for them because 
that in a way it makes them feel good that what's what we make our choices that are made is best for mm-hmm. them. So they are mm-hmm. comfortable and they feel like we're provided for and we're taking a, a path that, you know, is X, Y, and Z. Uh, but depending on where someone's Uranus is and the aspects and the degree, that might be a big fuck you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and for me, it has been. Mm-hmm. And I can't hardly stomach school systems. Mm-hmm. I can't hardly stomach the um, medicine world of allopathy. Mm-hmm. And like I said, there's still healers in there and there's still mm-hmm. a place for some of that and innovation. Mm-hmm. But both of those systems are inevitably going to collapse mm-hmm. because of our collective shift in mindset and perspective. And you could mm-hmm. say the vibration rising. I mean, we could go and sound super metaphysical and spiritual, but we don't have to even do that. We can just say, we're getting smarter and we're not being tricked as much. And that's as simple as it is. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, I love that. That's a really a, a positive spin, I think, on Uranus, which can be tricky and unpredictable. So I, I appreciate that perspective. Yeah. And, you know, Uranus did have an effect on this last moon because Venus and Uranus were square the same day. Mm-hmm. So that was a huge emphasis on our relationships and in our chart. Yeah, Uranus is where there can be unexpected things that happen and change. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have to have that sometimes. So um, it's like, where are we going to really stand up for our individuality mm-hmm. in states of shifting and upheaval and change? We can't control anything outside of ourselves, period. Mm -hmm. and that's what Uranus teaches oh I love that that's so beautiful so at the end of this month I think you are hosting a practical magic sleepover (laughs) at the homestead in Oklahoma City which is described as a magical adult women's sleepover where you (laughs) study astrology and human design by day and dance around a fire at night amazing Tell me a little more about that. I want to hear about that. And then what other upcoming retreats you have going on out there? Well, the Cosmic Rabbit Hole retreats, I have been doing uh, things similar to that at least since 2015. So those are three nights we've gone all over the country. So uh, New Mexico, Florida, uh, New York, um, North Carolina, all over. And here I moved on this land in June, huge quantum leap for me, terrifying as fuck, but also very North node driven, pulled everything in me to want to go back to anything safe. So then talking about, you know, the North node, South node pull, I've been in it. Uh, But I named this place the Aurora Homestead. So that I would do campouts and gatherings and events here while I'm living here. It's five acres in Oklahoma. And it feels like really fairy and magical. And I just had a cosmic rabbit hole reunion with six women here last weekend that had been to retreats all over in the last three years. And, you know, it includes a ceremony one night, but play and fun and connection. And 
also just not being super serious all the time. You know, mm-hmm. like the last night we always watch a movie and we eat ice cream and brownies mm-hmm. and have fun. So um and the practical magic, you know, my whole childhood I was a um only child and my grandparents had a farm and I was out there with my animals, goats, my horse, I had a pet cow named Molly and I created all these fantasy worlds and somewhat disassociated. Yes, that was part of it too. And I know by coming back, moving on this land where I live, it's reparenting that little girl within me mm-hmm. and my 12 year old self. And I literally even got the same rubber boots that I used to wear fishing with my grandparents. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And so that's, you know, the one coin, two sides of the, this is everything I wanted, but it's also fucking terrifying because of the, mm-hmm. um, the, the trust fall, um, mm-hmm. you know, doubling your bills and knowing that you'll be provided for is a lot of times what we have to do mm-hmm. and stretch ourselves, And mm-hmm. it's, it can be really scary, but at the same time, things show up and mm-hmm. divine timing. So this last weekend was amazing and beautiful and my first bigger retreat. But I hold one night, two nights, ceremony retreats here. And I have done that already. And then the practical magic as a little girl, before I even saw that movie, I was already doing some of that, like making little spell jars and just like potions and not even really calling it that, but it was just being in the land. Mm-hmm. And then, so for my generation, obviously that movie is just really powerful and has a lot of nostalgia. So my friend that lives here, she um, holds sound ceremonies and human design practitioner, and she is going to be doing it with me. So we're just going to replay that fun childhood and also do some deep work. It won't include plant medicine, but we're going to just uh, have fun. I mean, yeah. like that's what I want to anchor here. And that's what I know that we all need more of. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it is what the retreats that I do all over also include. And I just, I can't do the ritualistic like you got to wear white, you got to do this, you got to do that. It's like, no, that's, that's definitely not my vibe. It's mm-hmm. we're going to come in and we're going to do some deep work, but we're also going to play and have mm-hmm. fun as well. So I love that. And yeah. people can access more info about your retreats and like access your online courses and book readings with you, uh, all that's done through your website. Yes. Yeah. And I just launched uh, way far out into April for that eclipse, but here in Southeast Oklahoma for that area's solar eclipse and its totality path goes through Southeast Oklahoma. So. So I'm going to start creating the cosmic rabbit hole retreats also being a training. So it's everything we also already do, but I want to teach people through 
courses and also these retreats how to do the cosmic mapping because I want them to go teach astrology and I want them to go teach this and help people map that out. And so, you know, people often ask me like, once you map that out, like what is the action steps? And it's like doing everything opposite of what you've been fucking doing. Right. (laughs) That's the action steps. Yeah. And when you get to see it written and then you get to see all the things that you've been through, endured, triumphed over, Mm-hmm. There's this empowerment that you feel. And also, you aren't her. You aren't the seven-year-old. You aren't the 12-year-old. You mm-hmm. aren't her. So mm-hmm. we can't let her speak through us and talk through us. We have to speak to her, give her a voice, and not ignore her anymore. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I feel like coming into more of, in 2024, the teacher mode. Mm -hmm. I feel like after a decade, I'm finally even more ready. And I know that I've been doing that just by sessions and all the things I do, but I want to claim it now uh, and just really have that be a part of everything I do where it's a training. And I just, I feel like everybody needs to know astrology on some degree. They don't need to teach it. Right. But it's, I mean, it's a, yeah. it's a guide. It's a mirror for us all right now. Yes. And it's so helpful. I mean, that's what I tell people all the time too, is it's like, it's so helpful to know this about yourself and your life and your past and your karma and your future. So I'm with you on that. I think, you know, um, it's, it's cool to me when I hear people who listen to my podcast who don't know anything about astrology and then will tell me a little bit about like, oh, I looked up my sun, moon and rising and or I learned about, you know, my midheaven and I love that. I just think it's awesome. It's another avenue of self-discovery, self-understanding. So, um, so I agree with you. I think it's awesome that you're facilitating that and helping people learn that about themselves. And um, I just think all your work is incredible. Where can people find you other than your website? What's your Instagram handle? Uh, so the Instagram is at Venus underscore rising underscore. So there are probably still fake accounts. So yeah, well, uh, I'll tag the right one in the show notes. So I'll make yeah. sure people can see that and know where to find the right one. Yeah. Um, but Britt, I mean, you're amazing. Honestly, I, I could sit here and listen to you for hours. You have such an incredible way of speaking and you've taught me so much. And I'm definitely going to do some cosmic mapping work with you in the very new fu- near future because there's so much I think I can learn from you. And thank you for just being so authentically yourself and embracing your gifts and sharing them the way that you do. You're an exceptionally wise an intelligent human and healer. And I'm just so glad we did this. And I have so much gratitude for you. Yeah. Thank you so much for that reflection. And I feel honored that you asked me and that I'm able to speak whenever I can about this because talking about our Chiron, you know, that Chiron Gemini in me is like, okay, this is what you'll continue to do and keep moving forward and learning and growing. And so you've given me the opportunity to do that. So. Thank you very much. Absolutely. And the Chiron and Taurus in me is grateful (laughs) to talk about it all. (laughs) That's how we heal, right? This is healing. So, well, thank you, Britt. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.